Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. Hi, Kim. How are you today? I'm doing well today, Kara. My brain is like going a million miles an hour, though. I, I'm i like in full-on thinking mode. Like, I love this. I love that feeling. I get so excited because I this is when all the ideas come, and I just absolutely love the ideas. Aw, that's awesome. Yeah, mornings are really good for me that way, too. I will tell you, I've had too much caffeine this morning, so bouncing a little bit in my seat, and I'm going to do the best I can to make it through without having to um, take a potty break. So yeah, let's get rolling on this episode. What are we talking about today? So today we're talking about untangling limiting beliefs. And I think this is a very common thing that I see in entrepreneurs. Sometimes they don't even realize they have a limiting belief. And it can really, really stymie people. One of the reasons that I chose to go through some very intensive training to become a gestaltist is because as a business consultant, you know, I would give my clients like really decided roadmaps to get their business where they wanted it to be. And then they wouldn't follow through with that. Like they wouldn't get where they wanted to go. And when I really asked myself why, and when I asked them why, and when we took a deep look at it, a lot of times underneath all of that was a limiting belief. And not the only barrier, but it certainly is a very popular one. And until the limiting belief is eradicated, it makes it really, really hard for that person to be successful in their business. And what happened for me, because yeah. I was in that same place, right? I had so many limiting beliefs. And Gestalt, when I met Melissa Pierce at Touched by a Horse 10 years, 12 years ago, Actually, it's been more like 14. Good grief. A time just flies when you're having fun, right? Time flies. So when I met her all those years ago, she helped me be able to eradicate those things for myself. And I wanted to be able to offer that to my clients. And in the episode today, I really want to talk about how specific limiting beliefs really get into your head to where you don't even realize they're there. And they derail your forward progress. So my hope for this episode is that by the time we finish talking today, that the people that are listening understand what a limiting belief is, and they can start to pick up on some of them in their own lives. And Kara and I are both going to give you guys examples of our limiting beliefs that we've butted up against in our own business and in our own lives. So yeah, I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready to dig in? Yeah, let's dig in. Why don't you start by defining what a limiting belief is? Because I think that would be a good place to start. Because I don't know, when I think about limiting beliefs, a lot of different things come to my brain. And the forefront of that is that this is something that can be crippling. It, it can is. really be crippling to forward movement for a small business owner, especially if you're a solopreneur and you don't have other people behind you that are like helping move you forward and are helping you recognize where that's coming from. So let's start with just the definition. So I believe the best way for me to tell you kind of where these show up in your life is 
When you are approached with something, like let's say I am on a mentoring call with you, Kara, and we're doing photography mentoring, Mm -hmm. and you're talking to me about sales, and you look at my charges, what I'm charging people in my packages and and all of that stuff, and you say, price sheet. And you say, Kim, you really need to be charging mm-hmm. more for your photography. And I kick back with, well, I can't charge more because, okay, that start of that yeah, sentence. all the becauses. At that sentence, buts, they're buts. We did a whole episode back in season one I thought was great about setting on your butt. That's very similar. That's that's a lot of where mm-hmm. those beliefs start to show up. So when you feel yourself answering a question that somebody is asking of you and you say, I can't do that because what follows the because is usually related to your limiting belief. Now, in Gestalt, we have foreground and background, yep. right? So the foreground is what you're experiencing in the moment. And then the background is where you picked that up. So back in the background is where that limiting belief got born. And that's where you need to go back and fix it because no amount of you, if I have a limiting belief about charging people money, and it it can be a ton of things, and we're going to cover some more of those in our own personal lives. But if I have that limiting belief, you can't tell me to get out of that, right? You can't say, Kim, raise your prices. I won't do it. I won't market it. There will be something that blocks me from being able to get to that point until I go back and I untangle that thread that went all of the way back to my childhood when my parents told me that, and this didn't happen necessarily to me in quite this way, but told me that I wasn't valuable. Okay. So, or that what I had to contribute wasn't yeah. valuable. There's a lot of lot to do with value or money or something in there. So what you have to produce isn't worth that, on and on and on. It can happen in a trillion different ways. And it's truly unique for every single one of us out there in the world. We all had a different family experience. We all had similar veins, but it still is very unique to that particular makeup of our family, our childhood experiences, our adult experiences. It's an interesting of this whole thing that we come into life with. All of our different experiences add to this. All right. So let me give you an example of how this showed up in my business in a very negative way when I was very first becoming a photographer. So I was actually a photographer back in the days when we had film. And part of the process that had to go through to be able to get the photos to the client was I had to turn all of my film over to someone else and that person processed the film and then gave me back the negatives and the photos, primarily because I hated darkroom work and I always screwed it up. I am not a... Back then, I thought that there was another reason. I thought I was just dumb. I couldn't understand science. Now I know I just am not a precise individual and processing film is a very precise procedure. You have to be perfect with it. So that understanding or thought that I was not capable of processing the film, I got this anxiety belief around processing film. And 
it became really apparent to me one day. So anytime I drop, let me go back. Anytime I drop film off at the processor, I would purposely agonize over it. I mean, like if I felt like if I didn't worry a certain amount about that film coming out good, that it would come out bad. Like I had this, I had this irrational fear of that. It became super apparent. The worry became part of your process. The worry became part of my process. And it, it was not good worry. And I noticed this the very first time this really like hit me in the face was I had hired an assistant and I sent her to the processor to drop off some film. And I like yelled at her because she was not didn't have enough anxiety about the film processing. That did not create a good employee-employer relationship. As a matter of fact, that relationship ended very shortly after that because of my oh. irrational limiting belief around the ability of someone else to be able to process my film. So it was a real, real to worry problem. As much as you worry. To worry as much as I worry and like that had something to do with that film getting produced. And it was a limiting belief around the processor, around my own ability as a photographer to produce a good image. I mean, it just tore up a lot of employee-employer relationships. It really made me not want to be a photographer. It made me not want to take clients because it was such a crazy period. I didn't do weddings I did like two weddings on film and I wouldn't do another one because that was just, it was too much. I couldn't take it. So it really limited my you business. Couldn't handle the pressure. I couldn't handle the pressure. So that's a way one of these beliefs that we get in our head shows up. And I had to trace that all of the way back to my mother ingraining in me. If you don't work hard, if you don't have a certain level of anxiety, about what you're producing in the world, it won't be done right. And so that's an example. It's a crazy example, but sorry for the little trip inside my head. Yeah, but it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one, though, because it talks about how it was as a business owner, how it was affecting your bottom line, because you weren't able to take certain jobs. You were fearful of jobs. You weren't taking jobs because of it. And then that affects the whole process. Yeah. You know, I mean, it makes so much sense. And then you were able to follow it back to where that came from. And and I think that that's not, while the film example itself is unique to you, that that limiting belief around being able to do something well is not uncommon for small business owners. Yep. So I'm going to give the big three now because I want to talk about recognizing okay. limiting beliefs and when they're holding you back. So, and that's number one, because you've got to recognize them. When I yelled at my employee, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I felt just like a bad boss because I didn't realize all of that was yeah. like a thread that was tied together. And I feel terrible for that. That's been like 30 years ago. I feel bad even today, 30 years later, that that happened in that situation. So you've got to recognize when it's mm -hmm. holding you back. Because otherwise it just keeps compounding, right? The second one is to follow it back to its root and bust it. So that's the second of the big three. And then the third one is to make a strategy to not allow that limiting belief back into your life. And that sometimes takes a little bit of effort that you maybe 
need some help with. And we're going to talk about that as well. But let's talk about recognizing these limiting beliefs. Like I said, anytime you start sentences with, I can't do that, I could never, or that won't work, that usually is a really good indication that that's going to be followed by a limiting belief. Anytime you use the word Mm -hmm. but, what follows the but is typically a limiting belief that eradicates whatever came before the but. So anytime you use but in a sentence, you negate everything that comes in front of it. And it's a really good way to bust yourself on knowing that that's a limiting belief that's coming up. Another way to understand a limiting belief, especially if you're in a coaching or a mentoring situation and somebody offers you a suggestion and you feel resistance coming up in your body, like somebody says you should raise your prices and you you start to get stiff or defensive in some way, you feel that stiffness in your body, you feel maybe your gut starts to roll a little bit or your brain starts to spin out of control a little, that's a good indication that there is something going on there. You start tuning people out. Yeah, tuning people out, ignoring them. Or if you say something like to yourself, like, I would never do that. So yes, Kara can charge that amount of money, but I can't do that because my market wouldn't allow for that to happen or my market just isn't the same. Or you start looking for divisions between you and whatever was suggested, Mm -hmm. right? That's a typical thing that happens in a mentoring coaching relationship. And what you guys are doing is you're paying for these relationships to build your business, to increase your bottom line. And when that resistance comes up, you need to be very clear with the person you're working with to say, hey, I have a resistance to that. What can we do to like get that broken down? That's a really important piece of this puzzle in recognizing that because you do oftentimes need some help in getting that recognized and following that breadcrumb trail all the way back. So Kara, when we were prepping for this episode, I'll tell you money for entrepreneurs tends to be a huge, huge place where we have limiting beliefs. Yeah, And you shared with me that that was something you've struggled with. And I would love to give you a time to share a little bit about that from your point of view. Yeah, charging people money for services was a big limiting belief for me in the early days of my business. Mentioned on this show before, I did not, didn't grow up with any money. We were pretty poor. My earliest memories are of worrying about money. Like those are my earliest memories as a child. So for me, when I started charging for my photography, my prices were way too low. I wasn't making money. I was giving away my time and services. And when I realized that If I was going to be successful and able to keep working as an entrepreneur, as owning my own business, that I had to make changes around my pricing, it was terrifying because I didn't think that other people could afford services, that they could afford the services and and afford what I needed to charge. And I realized, not on my own, I talked to a lot of people about it. I did some trial and error around just building confidence with pricing. I did a lot of things to get there, but I realized that that is something I was going to have to do for my business. But I could see where it was coming from because I remember earliest memories, there being money stress in my household and where that comes from. And I never want other people to feel that my business is a money stressor for them. So I had to separate those two things 
I had to, as Kim says, I had to untangle it and kind of pull myself back to where that was coming from and rethink. And I'll tell you, once I made those changes and confidently put my pricing out there, the confidence only grew from there because when people start booking you at those prices, they start purchasing your product at those prices, you know that you're moving in the right direction. And I will tell you, with the mentoring that I do with photographers that are working on changing their pricing structures, that are trying to grow their businesses, their photography business to be actually profitable, this is probably the most common thing that comes up that we have to work through mindset around at the beginning of our mentoring. I think it's probably if we were to actually be able to research it, my guess is it's probably the reason Mm -hmm. most businesses fail. Like the small business failure rate is so high. I would say this is probably Mm -hmm. at the root of a lot of that. And it can have to do like in Kara's situation where the family that you grew up in struggled to be able to make ends meet. And money was always a topic of conversation, or maybe your Mm -hmm. parents fought about money a lot. And so you attached this like value to money of causing stress. And sometimes it has to do with your own value. Uh, For me, I have a really twisted childhood story that I cannot get into on a podcast or will be here for the next two hours with me trying to explain it. (laughs) It's it's very complicated. It has lots of twists and turns. Someday I will write a book and everyone can read it because I'm very transparent about it, but it does get complicated. But let's just say that I had a value attached to my physical being when I was brought into this world. And that value like was commonly mentioned to me as a kid. And because that value got attached to me, I have a really limiting belief around my value as a human being. And that translates to my value as a photographer or a business consultant or a rancher or whatever that happens to be. Yep. So That very ingrained, ancestral, like handed down value situation really affected me. And it caused my first business to go bankrupt because money was this weird thing in my world that I had all these limiting beliefs around. It was more than one. It was a pile of them. And I'll be flat honest with you. I'm still sorting through a bunch of those. I really, truly am trying to find my peace with it. Money, another thing that can happen is like if your parents instill in you or someone instills in you that you have to work hard for your money. That was another thing. I think that was probably a, a little bit at the root of my irrational fear of the film processing thing. It felt too easy to hand that off to somebody else and a beautiful product come back. I didn't do anything for that. So my way of compensating for that was to make myself in a frenzy over it. So I felt like I worked really hard for the result that came back. And this is another thing I think that I see. Well, I don't think I know. I see it in a lot of my clients where, you know, that money for nothing or it seems super easy, it's hard to celebrate that when it comes in. I know for like you and me in the photography world, and we're using that as a lot as example today, but I think it fits and most people that aren't photographers can translate it. If you do, like, I don't know about you. I think we were having a discussion the other day where you set up a group of sessions like at a barn and you end up making a whole lot more money 
mm-hmm. by doing a whole bunch of people than you would a single person at that barn. In the same amount of time, you make a tremendous amount more. And I don't know about you, Kara, but there's sometimes I've looked at the paycheck and gone, wow, that was really easy for that amount of money. <laughs> I think there's this idea like how it, well, how, it, how that manifests for me too is if I'm not working, I should be working. Yeah. And it's in, so you have, I think, a whole series of people out there that feel like they have to fill their time with work all of the time. And the truth is, it's more about like working smarter, not harder. Like that is really a thing. But you feel like you have to be busy. And like my calendar is booked how I want it to book. But I see people hustling, trying to book sessions or trying to bring in new clients. And I have to remind myself, I don't have to feel like I'm running that race. Like I don't need to be in that race. But when you have this limiting belief that you have to work hard all the time, you know, you're not working hard for your money. If you're not making enough money, you're not working hard enough that there's this mentality. I mean, that comes from, I know that comes from my parents working more than one job to make ends meet. And they're all of their time being filled with work. You know, that comes from that. And so if you find yourself taking a health day or a mental health day or a day off, you feel guilty about it and you feel like you should be doing more for your business. And so that's something that pops up. That is definitely something that pops up, I think, for small business owners. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things in my entrepreneurial strategy classes that are consulting sessions that I do is I will always ask the person, the first question I ask is, how do you want to spend your day, week, month, and year? Because I want to know, how do you want to spend your time? Because I'm going to tell you something, this is probably foresight on my part because I'm not at the end of my life, or at least I hope I'm not even close at this point. But my wager is, is when you get there, you're not worried about, you know, how hard you worked. You're worried about the impact that you made, or Mm -hmm. that's what's going to make the day. I don't want to say worried. You are more joyful around the impact you made than the level of difficulty or the hours that you put in. And the truth is, is that you don't have to spend as many hours doing the things that you think you have to do to make up for this. And that limiting belief, I think, steals not only our productive time as business owners, but it steals our joy in our lifetime on this planet. And that is a really super sad loss for us all the way around. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about money here. And I do want to move on because I want to get to the next part of this without taking up all your guys's day. But I want you to know that it, their limiting beliefs are around more things than money. Fear is a huge one. Being afraid of something. Time is another one. Oddly enough, all of the things that are limiting beliefs tend to be objections in sales for people. So a lot of times when you're selling something and a person isn't buying into it and you look at that objection, it has to do with time, fear, or money. And that has to do with their limiting beliefs. Okay. So it's not just you walking around with these. Every person on this planet is walking around with limiting beliefs. And when you're selling to people, you're also dealing with theirs. So when you get yours straightened out, you also have to look at your clients' limiting beliefs as well. So that happens. Some people have limiting beliefs around laziness, like too much to do, not enough to do. Some people around a whole variety of things. I I couldn't do that because I'm never going to be that rich or I'm never going to be that beautiful or I'm never going to be that smart or that healthy. Or the value 
of what you have to offer. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of my coaches doing this, like they value stuff, their packages to where they reduce the amount of money they're getting paid by the hour because they've added in a bunch of extra things that really aren't necessary, actually probably drain the client considerably because they've got all these little extra meetings or homework things. I know I do that. I always feel like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. you're paying me. Please let me give you like way too much homework. Less is really more for people. And that's a limiting belief on my behalf or that coach's behalf in the fact that what we have to give is not as valuable as what we're charging for it. So we value stuff. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Kira, before we scoot on to the next? Definitely. I've struggled with this one as well, like that the information that I have to offer, is it valuable? How valuable is it? Maybe it's not as valuable as I think that it is. And I've definitely been in positions where I have more than over-delivered in order to feel like I'm justifying the price point. Yeah. You know, what I have learned from that is that, like Kim said, you can overburden people, you can overset expectation, you can wear them out with information overload, trying to jam pack it full of stuff. And then what I have also learned is that let your clients tell you that they're getting what they need. I mean, they'll send you gifts, they'll write you reviews, they will thank you profusely, you know, like let them tell you that they're getting what they need and ask them. It's okay to survey. It's okay to ask for feedback. That helps a lot with that. So I've definitely been in that position where value was limiting belief for me. Yeah, I, I have the same things. And and I was just as you were saying that that burden we do put on other people, sometimes dealing with our own load of trauma and drama. Yeah. We trauma dump on other people, yeah. right? That's my problem, not my client's trauma problem. Dump, yes. So this is where right. it starts to really, it is a very tangled ball in your business. And and obviously one podcast is not going to sort this out for you, but hopefully at, at least now you have an idea of where you might be trauma dumping on your clients and and maybe we That's can right. we can go back and find the space for that. So the second thing you do is to follow it back to its root and bust it. And the first thing I'm going to ask you here to take a look at is when these scripts start running in your head, when you find yourself going, looking at your new program that you've designed and you've got four sessions in your mentoring program as a coach or four, four sessions in your coaching program. And you go, okay, I need to add a fifth session and I need to add this workbook and all of those things. When that script starts running in your head, stop for a moment and ask yourself, is the voice or the intention coming from you or has somebody give that to you? If you see yourself, I can't do that because Mm -hmm. what follows that sentence, is it yours or did somebody hand that to you? Because so many of us walk around and I know that this is This sounds weird because we're all adults, right? But we're walking around with a bunch of stuff that our parents handed us as kids. In Gestalt, we call that an interject. So somebody handed you this belief and now you carry it around as if it was your own without any question whatsoever. You just, Melissa always says this is where you swallow it whole. You believe it whole. So I will give you an interject from my own childhood that happened. So when I was in third grade, I moved schools between second and third grade. I moved from a school that didn't have a very good educational system 
to a school that did have a very high-end educational system. So I was already a little bit behind. The reason I had to move schools was because of a trauma that happened to me at that school. It actually happened on the school bus. And I've had to do a lot of personal work around that to kind of unravel where this limiting belief got born or got, got its root started. At any rate, when I get to the new school, I'm behind all the other students. So the school, which is a very good school, had a lot of resources to help students who weren't intellectually up to the same par as the other students. And that's where they kind of put me. They were like, okay, well, you're in third grade. You should be able to do these things. You can't. You're developmentally delayed, as I think in the nice way that we would put it now. There were other words that were used when I was in third grade. (laughs) So I was put into a program to help developmentally delayed kids. Well, in fourth grade, we were given a IQ test. The entire fourth grade at the school I went to was given this IQ test. And the IQ test, I excelled on. I got a really, really high score on it. And when the professionals in the school saw that, They were like, okay, so it's not that she's developmentally delayed or has an intellectual issue. She must be lazy. And so that was immediately the label that I got. I was in fourth grade. I was a kid. When somebody just said, you're not doing well in school because you're lazy, I just swallowed that whole. I didn't even question it. Adults said it. So adults are my authority. They must be right. And so I just walked away with that belief. And I carried that limiting belief. I can't participate in sports because I'm too lazy to do that. I can't show my horse because I'm too lazy to do all of the work. And it actually crushed me at the beginning of businesses because I'd have really good ideas to start a business. And I think, oh, I can't do that. I'm too lazy to be able to keep up with that business. And the truth is, is that just about anybody who knows me would say lazy would be the last word that they would use to describe me. So that was a huge shocker to me (laughs) when somebody somebody said it was I was in my 30s when I was working at something and and I didn't get something, I don't know, I didn't get something done or something. And a person said to me, well, the last thing we can do, even though that wasn't completed, is call you lazy. And I was like, well, yes, you can, because that's what I am. I had my lazy badge on. I had worn it for all those years. So that's something that really had its roots back in one, a deeply traumatic experience for me, and then moved on into adults saying that. So that thread, even though I was an adult, I'd gotten over it. You know, I was survivor. It was not a problem, but it was a problem. And it really ate at me for many, many years. That's a great example. One of the places that I've seen this historically coming up is I did domestic violence work for a long time, which I've mentioned on the show. But I would have women that I would sit down and work with, and they have been told things over and over and over again by their abusive partners. Things like, you're never going to be successful at work. You're never going to keep that job. You'll never be able to put that idea into action. You know, they would just constantly, constantly berate and use that language over and over and over again. So I would sit down with them and they would say to me, we'd be talking about strategies and they'd be coming up with ideas and they would say things like, well, 
I'm never going to be able to keep this new job, or I'm never going to get a promotion, or I'm never going to make enough money in order to be on my own, never going to be able to start my own business. And I would say to them, you know, where have you heard that before? Where has that come from? And it would always come back to their abusive partner. And being able to sit with them and say, well, do you see how that's not necessarily true? You've had this job for two years, you know, or you just got promoted six months ago, or you have successfully started your own business. You just made your third sale the other day, you know, and being able to like to kind of rewrite those, you know, negative things that have been told to them over and over again. It wasn't a one-time done thing. You know, obviously there was a lot more untangling that needed to be done, but I saw a ton of this when I was working with survivors of domestic violence, where it was very evident where that negative belief or that limiting belief came from. Absolutely. And it happens in so many different ways. There are a multitude of people in our lives that can hand us limiting beliefs. Authority figures, school administrators, teachers, Mm -hmm. family members, extended family members, boyfriends, girlfriends, partners, wives, husbands, friends, employers. It just, the list is endless. And it's a sad commentary, I think, on our world. And most of the time, Most of the time, not all of the time, but most of the time, it's trauma dumping. It's that individual dumping their trauma on somebody else that hands them that limiting belief. And going back and unraveling that and understanding it is the very first step in healing from it and no longer wanting to carry it around and being able to even put it down. That's the thing that I love. And I'm I'm into the make a strategy, which is number three to keep this from coming back in your life, Mm -hmm. just recognizing it is oftentimes not enough. So you generally cannot muscle your way out of a deep limiting belief. Uh, Unfortunately, it sometimes takes years to get them completely gone. And the way to kind of accelerate that is to find somebody who can help you with it. Because there's a lot of times if you have a limiting belief, you can't trust yourself to be able to recognize the impact of that, or it's that situation where you almost got to have a third party to recognize when you're doing it, because it's such an ingrained script in your head that you don't sometimes recognize it's even happening. I mean, it's it's crazy that way, but it just, it doesn't, and, and until somebody is able to point it out to you and really help you rewrite it, and then hold you accountable for that rewritten script, being able to now take the place in the operating system in your head, then it's hard to tangle your way out of it. So therapists are good at this. Gestaltists are good at it. If you have a particularly talented friend, sometimes they can help you through by holding you accountable. There's a lot of ways that you can help that, but they can help you get that strategy put together so that you can get rid of this limiting belief and get out of your own way in making your business successful. And that's the thing that I have seen so many times in my 30 plus years as an entrepreneur is watching people's businesses fail, not because it was a bad idea, not because it was money. It's just they got in their own way and the world was robbed of a really good business and an individual was robbed of success. And I don't like that. I don't want these moments or limiting beliefs holding anyone hostage 
And it's so important that we explore them and that we find the root of it and go ahead and remove that charge so that limiting belief doesn't hold us back any longer and we can fly on to success. I love that. So are we ready to wrap this up for people today? We are. So first of all, we're just really, we hope that if you've listened to this episode, that maybe there were some things running through your head, because this is really something that in our own lives as entrepreneurs and in the lives of so many people that we have, you know, worked with individually and in group settings, that just seems to come up over and over again. So if you're out there right now and you're thinking to yourself, you know, wow, I feel that way about money or I feel lazy or I feel like I'm, you know, never going to make it or succeed or I have to work really hard. Whatever your limiting belief is that you're, first of all, able to recognize it. The big step of the big number, big three, number two, is follow it back to its root and bust it. And just that simple act alone, I know Kim, you know, says make a strategy, get help. But I have found that sometimes the mere recognition of that is a great place to start. And I will bring myself back to that over and over and over again when I need to in times when I don't have the help right there available. Just recognizing it and following that thread back and reminding yourself of where that's coming from can be powerful in itself. And then that third piece, make a strategy. It's essential. And then get help if you need to as part of that. So if you really want to make that step, then think about getting help. As Kim said, you can't always muscle your way out of a deep limiting belief. So Kim and I really hope you've enjoyed this episode today. If you have enjoyed this episode, please let us know at The Business Animal on Instagram or Facebook and leave a review and a rating for the show. We really appreciate it. Just a heads up, it's that time of year. If you've just come across our show randomly, maybe you're searching for small business ideas or animal-based businesses and you haven't followed the show yet, please do that. That really helps us out. And, you know, we do this for free and that's a way for us to just kind of reach more people. So thank you guys so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.